We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. It's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're talking about Harry Potter and friends and enemies from Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. And joining the discussion is returning guest, Sarah Santana. Welcome back, Sarah. Thanks for having me again. So excited to have you on and always excited to return to the world of Harry Potter. Now, for this series, it's a little bit odd to do often our, our opening question is how did you come to it uh so i guess i'll just ask specifically do you remember when you first read order of the phoenix rather than how you came to harry potter i do because i remember this being the first book i got at a midnight release so I, I, this is the first one like goblin of fire i remember being excited for and still getting on release day but order of the phoenix is the first one time i went to like borders at midnight to pick up a copy because it was just like the cliffhanger of Goblet of Fire, what's going to happen next kind of a thing. And so I remember how like different it was from the other book releases. Yeah, there's, I, I think it's kind of um, equivalent to like going to the opening night for a big franchise movie that you're excited about the next chapter of. So like the, the Marvel right. movies where the whole audience is in on it. And there is a very different energy that changes your experience of seeing that movie. In this case, obviously not everyone's reading the book together in the bookstore, but there's still that kind of um, communal aspect of the midnight release party for the next Harry Potter book. Right. Everybody's walking out of the bookstore at the same time, like... We have no idea what's going to happen, but like we're all about to find out. Yeah, and some people are looking at the chapter titles and others are just holding it open and and starting with chapter one. I don't even want to know any future (laughs) chapter titles. I usually (laughs) skip uh, the chapter titles. Yeah, it's uh, like when, when you're flipping opening, you're going to chapter one, you do pass the table of contents as you're running through the pages. And so it's like, do I look? Do I not? I don't. <laughs> to be fair, her chapter titles aren't super like spoiler. They're kind of vague, but there's still enough to be like, nope, just just skip them. Yeah, I mean, it it, it is beyond the just the numeral chapter title right. words like chapter 47. So you do get something, but it's not like, you know, the, uh, the famous spoiler that was in uh, the Phantom Menace soundtrack where uh, the soundtrack was released, you know, three weeks before the movie. And one of the tracks was called the death of Qui-Gon Jinn. Oh my <laughs> God. Like was it really? Or something like that. I think I was yes. only like 11 when that movie came out. So I wouldn't have known that, but that is <laughs> hilarious. I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's something more specific. Like, I may have had the title wrong, but basically, it was there was no doubt that anyone who looked at the sound, the, the, the titles of the soundtrack <laughs> tracks knew Qui Gon Jinn, don't get attached to that guy. <laughs> it's like he hasn't even appeared on screen yet. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. All right. Well, a little bit of trivia, and we've covered a lot of Harry Potter trivia in previous ones, so we'll just do a little bit about this one. Um, the book was released in 2003, and we're, of course, discussing the book. Uh, we've been doing one book per year in the Harry Potter series on the Protagonist podcast, so this is definitely our fifth year of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> and the the film adaptation was released in 2007, as was a video game adaptation. Did you ever play any Harry Potter video games? This Sarah? is the one I actually played, and I think it's the only one I played besides like the Lego versions because those are kind of fun but I did play this one I don't know why this one out of all of them but I do remember playing this one Wasn't as far as video good, games like, go it, they're not like amazing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, I'm always curious about adaptations because you are, I, I mean, it, it's such a different medium, um, video games versus books versus films. Like there's a huge amount of difference as far as audience expectations 
uh, and how much control, like how much control can you have of the narrative when you're following the narrative? Right. Of the book? It's also new. Like, oh, it's Harry me. Potter. If we put out a video game, people are going to buy it. So they didn't necessarily put a lot of effort into it because, I mean, it was a while ago, but still you look at the graphics and it's bad. It's really <laughs> bad. It's like, is that supposed to be Ron? Because it doesn't really look like him. It's, uh, yeah, it's hilarious. It seems like the best bet for video game adaptations of big franchises that start in other media is actually like to either do a side kind of story that is not beholden to the plot of it. Um, so like uh, in Star Wars, they do like Rogue uh, Rogue Squadron video games, where it's like you're just in an X-Wing going out on a mission. And, and really, it's about space right. fighting, not following the exact plot of Star Wars. Or um, I do remember playing a Quidditch Harry Potter game on one of the Nintendo systems where you're just doing the Quidditch World Cup and that's it. Um, and so okay, not, that sounds like it would be fun. Yeah, so you're you're not like following like, okay, I know what the next clue is I have to find <laughs> to right. solve the Chamber of Secrets riddle. <laughs> Right. You're like, I kind of know where this is going anyway. Like, I did read the book. So yeah. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was fun, but it was more just like a play along of the book. Okay. Um, Order of the Phoenix is the longest of the Harry Potter series in the US hardcover. It was 870 pages, which, when we get to my summary, I went a little more broad stroke <laughs> than like a chapter by chapter breakdown of what happens in this, both because I trust 100% most. Fair. Yeah, most of our listeners are pretty familiar with the Harry Potter stories and don't need right. the most in depth summary. Whereas for some of the books that we cover that most people haven't heard of, we're going to go ahead and, and give a pretty thorough breakdown. And also, 870 pages pages is really hard to keep to our five to ten minute goal for, yeah. Yeah. for a summary um just assume when i'm doing the summary that there's a lot more angst being sprinkled in yeah. than what i'm delving absolutely. into absolutely uh and misunderstandings and, and and emotional outbursts just a lot of teenage angst going on uh. Um, Goblet of Fire, the uh, fourth book in the series, had set a record with an initial print run of 3.8 million copies, and Order of Phoenix set the new record with 8.5 million copies, which is such a big jump. Like, when you're already breaking the record, and you more than double it, right. that is quite the move, and obviously the publisher was quite happy with the sales on this. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> the, the, Considering the, the publisher is, like, the only person that wanted to publish the books, and then, like, what it ended up being, they were probably like go figure we just thought why not you know which i feel maybe um like i remember my initial my initial reaction to to order of the phoenix was some of this could have been trimmed and i was wondering like did, was the series getting so popular that the editors got more and more hands off and just kind of said go do your thing jk rowling and then with after the fifth one we're like okay we're gonna pull back and tighten this a little bit more <laughs> Yeah, because Half-Blood Prince is long, but not nearly as long as even, like, Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix. It's definitely, like, everything's in, the, in that book is a little more, like, important and to the point. And there's a lot of stuff in Order of the Phoenix that's just kind of all over the place. Yeah, it, uh, my initial reading of the of the whole series, like, even even after the fifth one, I, I, I did not like it as much as the first four Harry Potter books. And I think after I finished the whole series, I'm like, eh, it's not my favorite. It's grown on me since then. I don't know where I'd rank them all now, but I definitely have appreciated it more. Um, but it, I, it does feel a little bit more unwieldy and a little more tangential in some of the plots that get introduced. It's funny because most people rank this one pretty low, but it's my second favorite. I, I actually, I don't know if I love the chaos of it or what, but I love this book. And I and I should say, even when it was my least favorite, it was still one of my favorite books. Like, still. <laughs> Harry still, Potter. <laughs> yeah, I was still really happy when it came out. And I, you know, I read it across two days, you know, right, right. when it came out and have, you know, listened to the audiobook many times, reread it also. Yeah. Um, speaking of those midnight parties 5 million copies of the book were sold in the first 24 hour 24 hours which for a book in our modern mass media environment that's pretty astounding for a book to have that level of penetration and breakthrough and demand um so immediately just the amount of people like if you put that in the perspective of people like how many people were buying that book is just because everybody was buying it was little kids and teenagers and adults like it wasn't just a like niche market everybody was reading it yeah and um i'm sure within that like some of those copies were immediately being passed around like kids were fighting about it siblings were fighting about who, oh, got, God. who got the book me and my sisters bought separate copies because we wouldn't share like that was not we definitely a had more than one happened. copy in my house yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can't remember 
maybe when this one came out, I was I was living in dorms on campus. I didn't have to worry about it. But I do remember with Goblet of Fire, I was still living at home with younger siblings who were very into it. And we definitely bought more than one copy. Yeah. Um, at that point. All right. Well, uh, before we move on, listeners, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening. And especially thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist podcast and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are monthly episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and also give updates on our fantasy box office game. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. And some of our famous favorite discussions have been from works we hadn't had on our radar that uh, patrons have suggested for us. All right. Well, here is my brief summary of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> if you recall at the end of book four, uh, Voldemort was back. And so that's the big like, ooh, everything's going to be different. It's going to be so crazy. Uh, and then you get book five and Harry is back with his muggle aunt and uncle and not particularly enjoying his summer. He listens to muggle news for any signs of events that might be related to Voldemort's return, but he does not hear anything. Letters from his friends are frustratingly scant on details about what is being done in the wizarding world. However, after a Dementor attacks Harry on Privet Drive, he is taken to the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix, a group Dumbledore founded to fight Voldemort during uh, his initial rise to power. The Ministry of Magic, Harry learns, is refusing to believe Harry and Dumbledore's story that Voldemort has returned, and is trying to convince the public that Dumbledore and Harry are just seeking attention and maybe a bit crazy, which is uh, uh, not what I was expecting <laughs> to, to find uh, at the opening of book five. Um, the headquarters of the, of the Order of Phoenix is Sirius Black's family home, number 12 Grimald Place. Black, uh, the Blacks were obviously dark wizards based on the decorations that we see and also the talking portraits who are very racist against muggles. Um, but now Sirius, the Weasleys, Hermione, and Harry are staring there, are staying there with various members of the Order of the Phoenix popping in and out. Molly Weasley doesn't think that Harry, Ron, and Hermione should be told anything that the grown-ups are doing, but Black and Remus Lupin and, and also Arthur point out that that's not likely to be very useful um these kids have a way of finding out so we might as well tell them what we want them to know instead of having them try and piece things together and maybe be wrong uh they explain that the order is making efforts to hinder voldemort but it's difficult because of the official position of the wizarding world is that voldemort is not back so harry asks what voldemort is after and black says he's looking for an advantage sort of like a weapon which i always thought was an odd red herring like in the end in... it's like not a weapon it's i don't know it's a very interesting way to kind put of it like a, a weapon <laughs> <laughs> like if it had just been he's looking for an advantage that would have been fine but they but to say, say yeah it's like a, a weapon. weapon and so you spend the whole book going like what do they need other than their wands like yeah, i don't I know. understand what, what, like <laughs> like chemical warfare is that where we're heading this? right you know, what, what advance um let's see uh so despite their uh previous chats in in all the previous four books dumbledore seems to be avoiding harry uh, so like harry's like really wanting to pick dumbledore's braids about what's happened and dumbledore's being very distant uh harry used um he used magic to fight off the, the the Dementors back when they attacked on Privet Drive. And because Harry is underage, he's brought before the Ministry to be tried. And Dumbledore comes to his aid there. Um, and and uh, because of that, um, Harry is cleared and allowed to return to Hogwarts. But then Dumbledore just leaves. Like, he doesn't even really congratulate Harry and tell him he's pleased he's back at Hogwarts. He's just gone. Um, returning to Hogwarts, uh, Harry, Hermione, and Ron discover that the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher is Dolores Umbridge, which is a fantastic name for one of the most hated characters in... Uh, children's <laughs> literature i think it's safe to say at this point yeah definitely um umbridge is a ministry official who has been appointed to the post and i always remember i think it was on the back flap she was described as poisoned honey which is perfect um i'm not going into huge details on the characters here but she like wears pink and bows and acts very girly but then is just awful um and and is she like a toad <laughs> yes a grinning toad is one of the descriptions of her in the book and um but she's just always uh, out to, to cause misery, basically, wherever she goes. Um, other students at school are whispering about Harry because of the negative news articles about him that keep showing up in the Daily Prophet. Umbridge refuses to actually teach defense against the dark arts. Um, she insists that they only need to read theories out of books. So she's not actually teaching any magic. She just has them sit in class and read, which is 
terrible pedagogy. <laughs> I just want to say. Uh, so Umbridge then is also appointed to a new position as the Hogwarts High Inquisitor, which allows her to go and inspect other teachers' lessons. And Harry repeatedly gets detention with her um, and detentions that are physically abusive. So the he, he has a quill that he has to write. Is it, I must not tell lies? Is that the exact phrase there? Yes. I must yeah, not I must tell not tell lies. lies. And then as he writes it, it the, the quill writes blood and the back of his hand gives a cut every with every line that he writes. So when he writes I on the paper, his blood comes out of the quill and a, a cut opens up on the back of his hand and the letter in the, in, uh, the letter of I. And he has to write I must not tell lies over and over and over again. Um, he, Harry is frustrated that they're not actually learning defense against the dark arts, particularly because he knows Voldemort is back. So he and a group of other students form what comes to be known as Dumbledore's army, which is a secret group that gathers to have Harry teach them the spells he's used and for him to practice the spells, uh, as well. Um, everything that he's used to survive this far in his life, because his life has been pretty dangerous. <laughs> um, Harry, Throughout all this is also having dreams about a corridor at the Ministry of Magic, one that leads to the Department of Mysteries. And one very vivid dream about the Department of Mysteries ends with Harry seeing Mr. Weasley attacked by a snake in that corridor. Convinced that this was really a vision, Harry rushes to tell Dumbledore. Dumbledore alerts the Order of the Phoenix, and Mr. Weasley is found in time to be saved, though he is wounded. He really was attacked by the snake. And Dumbledore, very concerned about uh, Harry having had this vision of a snake attacking Mr. Weasley, orders him to take occlumency from Professor Snape. Occlumency is sort of the art of preventing someone else from entering your mind. Harry's not very good at it. He's not a good student. Uh, he also doesn't seem to be a natural, and Snape is not a very good teacher to Harry. About surprise, surprise. Or teacher to Harry, period. <laughs> yeah. Um, eventually, Dumbledore's army is discovered by Umbridge, and she is prepared to throw Harry out of school until Dumbledore takes full responsibility for the organization, which, after all, is named for him. Uh... Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic, is actually involved in this takedown of Dumbledore's army, and he is so happy when he's like, oh, I get to arrest Dumbledore instead of just take <laughs> Harry out of school. But Dumbledore rather terrifically eludes capture by the Ministry. Um, embarrassed, Fudge now installs Umbridge as the new headmaster of Hogwarts. Uh, the fifth years are taking their final exams of the year when Harry has another vision, this one of Sirius being tortured at the Ministry of Magic. Harry wants to go and rescue him, but Hermione insists that this must be a trap because Harry's not supposed to be trying to have these visions anymore. But with Dumbledore gone from the school, they don't have a means of contacting the Order. They try to use Umbridge's fireplace to magically communicate with the Order, but they get caught by Umbridge. Hermione tricks Umbridge into taking them into the woods when she hints that Dumbledore had them building a weapon out in the woods. But once they are in the woods, a herd of centaurs takes Umbridge away for trespassing in their land. Harry, Ron, and Hermione narrowly avoid capture by the centaurs. And then they're joined by Luna Lovegood and Neville Longbottom, and they ride on Thestrals, which are magical wing, uh, winged horse-like creatures that they take to the Ministry of Magic. Once they are there, they break in, but they realize maybe this was a trap because they don't find Sirius. Um, but the, Harry does go into the Department of Mysteries and he sees a glowing sphere that has his name on it and he grabs it. Then the Death Eaters attack and chaos breaks out. Eventually the Order shows up and they begin dueling the Death Eaters in the Ministry of Magic. Sirius Black is killed in this battle and Harry feels very badly about that. Also, the sphere that he had grabbed is broken. Uh, Dumbledore arrives and captures most of the Death Eaters. Now Fudge shows up with other Ministry officials and he sees that Death Eaters were in the Ministry and he must admit that Dumbledore was right in telling the truth. Dumbledore resumes his place as Headmaster at Hogwarts. And he tells Harry uh, that he had avoided having closer contact with him because he feared that Voldemort's connection with Harry was stronger than ever. And if Voldemort sensed that Harry had a personal connection with Dumbledore, uh, that he would use Harry to try and attack Dumbledore. Um, he also tells Harry that the sphere that he had picked up at the Ministry of Magic was a prophecy that had been made by uh, Trelawney, and the prophecy stated that Harry and Voldemort must battle and only one will survive. Voldemort knew the prophecy existed, and he wanted to get it to find out if it could explain how Harry had survived his attacks, um, and only the people that the prophecy apply to can touch the prophecies that are in those spheres at the Ministry of Magic. Um, so Voldemort's plan was to use his magical link to Harry to send a vision of Sirius being in danger, and then Harry would go into the ministry. The Death Eaters would force Harry to pick up the prophecy. And then the Death Eaters would take the prophecy to Voldemort. Um, Harry blames himself for Sirius's death because he fell for this trap. But Dumbledore insists that Sirius made his own choices. Sirius left uh, Grimald Place to Harry. But Dumbledore insists that a magical spell of protection makes Harry safer when he lives with his mother's sister. So Harry must return to the Dursleys for his next summer vacation. The end.
Dang, that is a you did you covered all the big things of that big book. But there's there's a lot that gets there's left out. So, so feel free to go listen to the twenty out. plus hours of the audiobook <laughs> and and also read the eight hundred pages and then come back for the rest of this discussion. Um one thing that I wanted to start with uh, is Umbridge. Uh, it is a character that definitely stands out in a world that J.K. Rowling made with with so many characters that pop and resonate. There's something about Umbridge that um, kids just are repulsed by <laughs> as they read the series. Um, I so so I have a ten year old daughter who has listened to all of the audiobooks and read lots of Harry Potter, and she knows the whole series. And now recently. Um, my seven-year-old has been getting into the series and he has not yet gotten right. to book five, but I'm waiting for it. Cause I remember when my 10 year old was reading book five and got to the opening and fa- found out that like the ministry didn't believe Harry. And then when she got to um, Umbridge at Hogwarts and the way she treated Harry, she just came and like ranted at me <laughs> for 10 minutes about how this was wrong on every level. And she couldn't understand what the ministry was doing. Why are they not trusting Harry? He's been the hero of everything. He saves the day always. Why does no one believe him? And she, she was just really upset. And so what is it about Umbers that is so um, like, like causes such almost a primal reaction, uh, particularly in young it's readers. F- I, think. I don't like Umbridge, and I'm the same way. I think Umbridge is like 10 times more evil than Voldemort is. And I think it's because she's like fashioned as like a, normal person i mean they don't fashion her as like this attractive person that you would automatically trust but she looks normal like she's just a normal person that works in the ministry she's not like voldemort that this 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 big scary like abstract thing like she's there in front of you and she's in a normal position as like a teacher and i think it's just you're you don't expect that from like Mm -hmm. someone normal yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's every villain that's not like just the scary mystery. It's like the normal like person next door. That's scary. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, like the the evil of Voldemort, like this guy who's using magic to try and become immortal and take over the magical world, which is separate from our world. Like that's all a bit abstract, right? Um, and uh, obviously right. fantastical. The whole series is fantastical, but there's something that's grounded, I think, in the idea of like you said, this normal person who's in a position of authority that kids recognize that is abusing that authority. Um, and, and in order to hurt the characters right. that the kids see as heroes and also are identifying with. It's like you said, it's like Voldemort isn't, he's the bad guy in the book, but like, you're not going to go outside and find Voldemort. Like that's no, that's just exists in the book. But like when a kid is reading this book and being like, how is the teacher not believing him? He's right. Like he's, he's the good guy. He's so like, you know, and going great. Now am I going to go to school and have a teacher or not? It it just feels more Mm -hmm. real than like, you know, the bad guy. Yeah. I like, I have this vivid memory from elementary school and it had to be in like first grade, which I have so few vivid memories of first grade. Like I, I kind of remember my teacher and I kind of remember the class, but very few like specific moments. Um, but one specific moment I have in my head is watching a safety film strip because it was, you know, the 80s, guys. <laughs> it was a film strip uh, about <laughs> about school bus safety. And I remember it said, when you exit the bus, if you're going to be crossing in front of it, take 10 steps out from the front of the bus and then cross uh, so that, uh, you know, cars could see you and everything. And so when I got off the bus that day, I was counting my 10 steps out. And then the school bus driver, when I was at like six or seven, honked at me and gave me an ang- very angry look and motioned to me to get across the street because she had to finish her bus route. And I just remember feeling so betrayed <laughs> that I was doing what I had been told to uh, in this safety <laughs> video. And now this other authority figure was getting me in trouble. Like I felt like I was in awful trouble, which I'm sure the bus driver has no memory of this ever happening and nothing absolutely was going to happen to me. But, you know, right. as a, in a first grader's mind, it's like, oh, no, I'm in trouble because uh, <laughs> this authority figure is oh, upset yeah. at me. And I'm like, I'm getting mixed signals. Like, what am I supposed to do right now? And just, I remember the confusion and being upset that I got in trouble for that. And I think that's a lot of what Umbridge is bringing to the table is, um, you know, Harry's doing what he's supposed to do. He's trying to save the world and stop Voldemort from rising to power and he's getting into trouble for it. And it's like, what is going on? (laughs) You know, this is not the proper order of things. Like, and he's already dealing with like the PTSD of everything and he's dealing with like 
I was there and I beat him the first time. So everyone is going to expect me to do it again. And I'm 15 and no one believes me anyway. Like that's a lot to put on a 15 year old, even one like Harry that's kind of used to that stuff. It's still like, can I catch a break? Like, can I get somebody yeah. on my side? Um, and like my, uh, I said my seven year old, he's not up to the fifth book yet, but he was listening to the audiobook of the second book. And he told me he had to stop it um, very early right. on. And it, uh, and he said it was because he felt so sad for Harry that on his birthday, he had to go sit quietly in his bedroom. And then he felt so scared for him with the house elf made noise and Harry was going to get in trouble for something he didn't do. And that like more than the threat of Voldemort or the Chamber of Secrets or anything like those grounded real issues for a kid, like my birthday, that's a special day. Things, nice things happen to you on your birthday or getting in trouble for something you didn't do. Like that is what was causing him like the most emotional ways. Like I had to stop and remind myself it was only a book. That's what he said to me. I had to say, it's only a book. Um, And I was like, when he said, the snake's gonna be scaring him the voices in the walls are gonna be scaring him nothing like that it's you know right you're thinking like he got to like Moni Myrtle's <laughs> no. death like something serious no, it's a kid having his birthday ruined and that is something that's grounded for a young reader you know and, and I think it's again there's something that's so right. real about the idea of an authority figure that abuses their power in a way that's unfair um that that right. is and, like, the way she even punishes him, like, comes to detention and then makes him write in his own blood. Like, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. It's abusive, for, yeah. You know, what's supposed to be a children's book. <laughs> yeah. It's emotionally and physically abusive, what happens to him at her hands. <laughs> yeah. And, and even, like, her little, <laughs> you know, to, to call to attention. Like, it's just, <laughs> like, there's this perfect balance of, um, like, annoying attention seeking but then absolute control that comes right. from from umbridge right. that makes her really pop as a villain and so and like you said it's like when she's not being just like pure evil like she's like you said she's being like irritating mm-hmm. like i said with her little like cough and like her like who says i forget who says i think it's like Pravardi or lavender brown is like the cardigans all the cardigans <laughs> like nobody likes anything about her like she's evil and annoying and i remember being so excited reading this and I, this one came out and uh, we said like 2003 so yeah i would have been in college at this point. but i remember being so yeah. excited when she went into um to look at uh, and cr- critique uh mcgonagall's class I'm like oh yeah here we go. Because McGonagall is not going to oh, stand yeah. for this. <laughs> and she doesn't. <laughs> she completely puts yeah. her in her place. She completely does it. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is this book is good for sass. Like, everybody has a great amount of sass in this book because they've just completely lost patience with Umbridge. And so nobody has, like, like a, they, they all have a short temper. And so the, the sass is great in this book. Yeah, and one of my favorite sequences, which I didn't even touch on, but there's this moment uh, when uh, Umbridge becomes headmistress of Hog- Hogwarts, and um, everyone just kind of says, okay, we don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, pranks and messes, and the Weasleys release a swamp, a portable swamp inside of one of the and corridors. The fireworks. Uh, yeah, they release their fireworks. <laughs> And, uh, and like the, they fly out on their broomsticks, but as they're leaving, they yell like, give her hell peeves to the poltergeist that everyone mm-hmm. has always hated. But now everyone is on the side of peeves. It's like, okay, peeves, let's right. see. We really want to see you do your thing. And, um, and, and like the, the teachers are all looking the other way at any mischief, at, you know, anything the students are getting up to that's going to cause hassle for Umbridge. They all just deliberately look the other way. It's like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think it, there's a, a line turn. in there. Like, Harry says something like, he swore he heard McGonagall tell Peeves it, like, unscrews the other way. It was like a chandelier or something. Like, they're yeah, all Yeah, he's trying to like, loosen it from the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite parts. Um, because, like, just the idea of the staff being on Peeves' side. It's, mm-hmm. like, so alien to everything that we've had established for the world of Harry Potter. But it's earned. And as a reader, you're also like, yes, <laughs> let's let's do it. Everything, even, like, the Weasleys do, like, everyone kind of is like, they're funny, they're jokesters, but, like, oh, my God, like, you need to calm it down a little bit. 
But everyone's just like, no, we have to be thrown across a portable swamp. Like, great. There's, you know, what did they, they release something where there's some, like, everyone had to wear bubblehead charms all the time. Like, yeah, everyone just kind of goes with it. Released. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like this is just our school now it's fine (laughs) yeah yeah, like there's just open rebellion against uh the leadership of the school it's fantastic um so uh i guess we we've definitely delved into umbridge quite a bit and and we noted and acknowledged that my my summary jumped through a few parts uh were there any other favorite like sections of the book that stand out to you when you think back on order of the phoenix i love all the dumbledore's army stuff i think that's why i like the book so much it's like the kids taking charge and it kind of sets the tone for the kids kind of taking charge for the rest of the series but it's just fun like Mm -hmm. you get more characters it's usually very centered on harry ron hermione and whoever they interact with and you get more of the twins you get more of Ginny and luna and neville like you get so much more of all of them and i love that yeah, um, I, I think one thing that the series does really well across all seven books is that each individual book you can map onto the Cambellian Kamba- monomyth of the hero's journey, but then also you can look at all yeah. seven books as a whole as the monomyth uh, and the hero's journey. Yeah, which, uh, that makes book five the abyss. Like this is going to be one of the darkest points, and our hero needs to be alone and taking on the mantle of leadership because he's going to be separated from Dumbledore, which is what happens in this. Like, but that happens right. like in every book a little bit, but in this one, Dumbledore leaves Hogwarts, and it's just so shocking that Dumbledore is gone from Hogwarts but like you said it it causes Harry uh I, I mean he's been doing it as the leader of Dumbledore's army but he really does need to try and step up but he also is going to fail he's going to he's going to screw this up he's he's not going to be ready um, for <laughs> yeah. the mantle but he's going to be stepping up to a role that he would not have had previously I think it's even even before Dumbledore leaves Hogwarts because Dumbledore is just not around for him like he's been before. And in every other book, it's like Dumbledore has the solution. Dumbledore is the one that makes everything okay. As long as he's there, it's great. And he's there, but I like Harry's like he's he's not there with me. He's not helping me. He's not even talking to me. And so I think that also is like like between Dumbledore ignoring him and Umbridge being just an awful teacher I think it's sort of like the adults are just not helping me at all right now so I'm just gonna do this on my own yeah like I said it's it's that um abyss moment where in the you know in the first uh four books Harry is like gathering his fellowship gathering uh learning new skills gathering objects that are gonna help him his invisibility cloak his magic wand like all these things um and then that needs to be stripped away uh when you're entering the abyss and you're going through the darkest point and this is dark like this is probably the the darkest tonal book i would say yeah um like there's more infighting amongst friends i mean obviously there's infighting amongst friends in every book i'm not trying to say that this is unique for that but it just feels a little more pervasive and a little like turned up to 11 like like we made some jokes about all the teenage angst like the emotions all are heightened um and the stakes have just been heightened at the end of book four so that's kind of being felt throughout this one because cedric died so the idea of like death being a real thing which had it had always been like well these are safe kids books um you know they're gonna be scary but it's the safe kind of scary and now you start introducing like the death of of characters and uh so cedric in that one and then uh serious in this one like the stakes are all being raised and it's it's harder like like everything is harder and more difficult and um and uh harry is trying to uh shoulder heavier burdens and he's he's faltering some like uh dumbledore makes the valid point that sirius was making his own choice but it is also true that harry fell for a trap that he was warned was a trap by several people and like it's not even just that there's death now it's there was death of a of essentially a child i mean cedric was was 17 you know so it's like everybody knew that when voldemort was power before that he killed a lot of people i mean harry's parents and all and all this stuff but it's it's not anything they have a memory of and now there's a death here and it's not just like an adult it, this is someone their age and so it's like we're supposed to be safe for the kids where we're not in the danger we're at our school and we're not safe anymore like even here and i think 
that like yeah. Goblet of Fire ends with that, and then you open Order of the Phoenix, and there's just like no hope anywhere. Whereas I think that's why I think this book is almost mm-hmm. darker than even you know Half Blood Prince or Deathly Hollows because they they at least they're fighting, they have a goal, they know what they need to do. But in Order of the Phoenix, it's just like everything is you know gone to chaos, and nobody seems to you know none of the people that Harry thinks would normally tell him it's going to be okay, like Dumbledore, even McGon, all those people, they're not in control right now. Well, and even... And um, so it's, I think that's just, a, like, hopeless. Even the Ministry of Magic, like, that is supposed to be an institution that protects the best interests mm-hmm. of wizards, and this one completely right. undermines that idea. Like, you absolutely no faith in traditional institutions <laughs> um, in here, and then... And it goes from, like, like, Fudge likes him, is, like, fatherly to him, to, like, no, I don't believe you. And it's, like... Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, like he's he, he's the one that like turns a blind eye to his magic in uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, and like, oh, we've got to do everything we can to protect right. you. You're the hope of the world, you know. Uh, you're the you're the symbol of of everything that's right. Uh, and now they're going to be the ones ruining his reputation. Right. I was the same age as Harry Potter when this book came out, and I think it's the only time it matched up perfectly. And so I think that's why I liked this book a lot when it came out. It was just like, I was in that same angsty, like, because everyone was like, God, he's so angsty. And I'm like, really, is he? And it wasn't until I got to an adult, I'm like, okay, I guess he was really angsty. Yeah, and, I, and sometimes I hear that as like a complaint about the writing. Like, oh, I'm like, well, I think that's actually an okay reflection of that age period for anyone, but particularly for Harry, right. he'd be feeling it pretty deep he'd be in the fields right after seeing cedric die and feel it you know everyone turn on him and having his reputation ruined and he's just trying to do the right thing and he's getting punished for it all the time like you're allowed to get a little moody at that point and then like he's got all that like extra non-normal teen stuff and then he's got like the OWLs coming up and oh, he's and got a crush on Cho and like he's got like normal team angst which is already hard enough to deal with and then you pair it with all the other stuff it's like god no wonder he's so angry like there's a lot going on there now, we, we should maybe accept that that is an accurate representation <laughs> of uh, 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 what how old is he in this book 15? he's 15, 15 yeah, yeah. Yeah, 15-year-old yeah, that's uh, going through a lot of stuff. Um, like, already not a good home life. <laughs> and now his adopted right. home is, is, seems to be turning on him. Um, and then you add in, like, um, with all of this, like, with the death of Sirius, like, book four, or, or no, back in book three, like, the hope was, oh, Sirius is going to be the only to get him out of the Dursleys. We all hate the Dursleys. Sirius mm-hmm. is going to do that. And then in this book, we found out, oh, Sirius even has a home. Like, once we get Sirius's name cleared, this is going to be great uh, for Harry. And then that's going to be taken away from him uh, in this book. And that that one hurt the most. Uh, Sirius is my favorite character. So, like, death, I mean, like, his death obviously really bothered me. But it was also just, like, that hope. Like, that was going to be a home they just had to get to proving his innocence. and. With his death, with everything that happens in the ministry at the end of this book, they do prove his innocence. Like, um, there's something in the very beginning of Half Blood Prince where it's like, "Oh, we were wrong about him," and it's like he's dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> the guy spent 13 years, you know, plus or whatever, and like, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, there's there's um, something like so bitter about that, <laughs> about like this late acknowledgement of. Oh, we were wrong about a lot of stuff, including that one. Yeah, like oh, <laughs> like that. Okay, had, like real ramification <laughs> <laughs> for for Sirius's life and also for Harry's life. Like as as readers, like you're following Harry, like it's his story, um, and Sirius was kind of being held out as like his escape route right. from having to grow up every year, you know, go back every year to the Dursleys, which makes sense, like to his story and like you understand why that decision was made. But when you read it, it's just, it's just like, it's more than just the loss of that character. It's just the loss of so much. It's, it's his connection to his parents, you know, and it's gone. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's hard. It, like I said, that whole book just beats up on Harry. It's so sad. <laughs> Um, one other thing, like, I, I didn't even touch on it, but one thing that I thought was done very successfully in this is the mystery of the Thestrals. Um, 
and I know, so the Thestrals are, at the beginning of the book, Harry sees what has always been described as the horseless carriages have horses, <laughs> like like demonic wing right. looking horses that are pulling them. Yeah, they're not uh, even like pretty horses. <laughs> and uh, he's like, uh, guys, and no one else has seen, you know, recognize it except for like Luna's like, oh, you seem to. That's nice. And But Luna is always so <laughs> odd. like, Harry's this girl's sure crazy. Yeah. Is that comforting? <laughs> is, is this comforting that I'm now with Luna <laughs> in seeing like, this? Like, thanks, Luna, I guess. <laughs> um, but, but I thought it got drawn out really well. Like the, the mystery of the Thestrals. And we learn uh, not like too long, but we learn soon enough that Thestrals are these magical creatures that you can only see if you've seen death. And Harry has seen death. And I know a lot of fans were like, well, he saw the horses carriages at the end of book four after he saw Cedric die. And then J.K. Rowling's like, well, he hadn't really processed it. And also I didn't want to introduce a big mystery then. So there's like that one little snag there. Uh, but as far as how it's handled in book five, I, I always um, like that plot line. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And, it always, because uh, uh, I think, it always made me wonder though, because after like the the battle in the Ministry of Magic or anything, it's like, did it change for the other characters when they went back the next year? Mm -hmm. You yeah, know what I mean? Some Just of like, them would have been around. Right, right. Yeah, I don't, I think it doesn't get addressed, does it? No, and it's funny because it's just it's very interesting like it's like how many people before harry could like see it and is it, is it just like this this weird thing where you just don't talk about it you know like and harry is the total opposite he's just like he sees something and he's like what's that you know and he's always like people are like what are you what are you talking about you know and it's like there's no like neville could see them i think and luna could see them there was a there was a fair mm -hmm. amount of people but i'm wondering if it's just, just one of those things about. like you just don't talk about it if you can see a thestral yeah, because then the next question is probably one you don't want to answer. Right, like, well, who did you see yeah. die? Yeah. Yeah. It's not exactly a, like a way, sunshine conversation starter. Um, Like, and I'm not trying to bag on um, this other series, but uh, Rick Riordan's uh, Lightning Thief series, what's it called, Percy Jackson? Yes. Um, Like, one thing that stuck out, uh, stuck out to me that made me, like, appreciate Harry Potter a bit more than that one, which I think he's built... It's obviously a very successful world that he has made. And right. it's, my, my daughter loves it and got her into mythology. So I'm not trying to bag on it at all. Like the, the number <laughs> of kids who now know Greek mythology because of Percy Jackson, that is amazing. He's, he's doing great work. Uh, and I'm glad he's as popular an author as he is. But in one of the early books, um, there's this moment where like Percy Jackson is standing there and then there's this like voice in his head and he turns and he talks to a horse. And, it, and then it just like the narrator just says, because uh, Percy's dad was Poseidon who created horses out of the ocean. He can talk to horses. And I was just like, this is at the very beginning when he's learning all his powers right. I, in like a Harry Potter book. This would have been like a mystery where he's like, he's hearing voices and he can't track them down. And it would have gone like for a few chapters. Where right. It's like, where is the voices coming from? And he doesn't know who to ask. And he's scared to ask someone. But in this one is just immediately it's like, oh yeah, I can do that. Cause my dad was Poseidon. <laughs> uh, and um, I like the, the drawn out nature right. of like giving us breadcrumbs and reminding us of certain mysteries and thread lines. Right. Um, and maybe book five has too many, like we said, it gets a little tangential and some of these come to the side, but it is a skill that JK Rowling has, I think to, to know when to remind us of these plot points and when to like, give us the reveal that we need. So, so it doesn't become so frustrating. I said she just puts in these, like this tiny thing. You're like, why is he seeing horses? Why is this important? Why is it important that, you know, Ron and Hermione can't see them? And when you get back to it, it's like, oh, that was a huge moment. We just didn't know because we didn't know what it meant. Yeah. And it's, it's, know, uh, that... it's a reminder of trauma that he's been through. Right. Um, and, and uh, you know, giving us again, like the, the fact that stakes have changed for the Harry Potter books. Right even though they're going to be labeled as children's books on the New York times bestseller list. Cause, cause <laughs> that, like I said, angry. <laughs> like writing his, like, you know, writing in his own blood. It just, this book gets dark. Um, do you have any other favorite like character moments or any of the side characters we've, we haven't really delved much into, um, you know, beyond digging this up about how Harry's different and Umbridge herself, but are there any moments for other characters that stand out for you? It, it, the, okay. So I always, um, the character that tends to get a lot of hate in this book that drives me bonkers is Cho Chang. Like, 
the the actress who played Cho Chang, like for a couple years after she was in the movie, like her tagline on Twitter was like the girl every Potter fan hates. And I was like, that's so sad. But we were talking about like everybody is going through Harry's angst and all that stuff. And to him, Cho was very like frustrating and irritating and he's not the patience for it because he's like a million other things but i feel like cho gets a really bad rep like she's going through a lot herself like her boyfriend died and she's you know like again not the same level as harry but i always i love cho Chang, and i always like to defend her in this book i feel like she gets such a bad rep in this book like she's a 16 year old girl like what is she supposed to be like well, and her boyfriend died, and she has a crush on the person who survived the attack that killed her boyfriend. Like, there's right. a lot of baggage <laughs> that's going to be coming with that. And she wants to acknowledge the crush, but she also has a lot of guilt uh, for try- for moving on from her boyfriend. Right. And, uh, you know, th- there's a lot there that because everything is simply from Harry's point of view, we right. don't really dig into and because, like you said, we're just getting Harry's confusion. He's like, I don't know if she likes me. She's crying all the time. Right. Uh, you know, like I, I, my first kiss, she was crying because she had just asked me about Cedric before we kissed. <laughs> so, like, you understand his confusion about what his role is supposed to be. Like, what am I supposed to do as, you know, a boyfriend here or whatever it may be. Uh, but if, if this book was being told from her point of view, I think we'd have a much deeper understanding of everything she's going through. And even without right. that, I think maybe we should try and empathize a bit more than like you said a lot of people tend to do with her i said i think because i was the same age as the characters i was like i get you cho like i understand like she's a teenage girl like it's not easy being a teenage girl and i just remember no matter what there's gonna be a lot of emotions happening and i remember because i mean after the book it wasn't as much but once the movie came out like the cho hey came out like hardcore and i was like oh like is that a thing that people hated her after the book it was just more like they were 15 and angsty and it didn't work like i never thought to like hate her so i don't know i always like to talk about it um (laughs) oh i'm i'm game too as well like i remember after i think it's in the third book where harry just like says the the ravenclaw seekers kind of cute I was like, oh, Harry and Cho, here we yep. go. Like, I was waiting for it. <laughs> um, from from that one little line. I think that's all we're yeah. given before uh, book four when he's, like, trying to ask yeah. her out to the the Yule, Yule, the Yule Ball. Um, and, so, and so I was waiting for that relationship. And it makes sense for it to fizzle. It makes sense for his first love not to be his true it's, love. Uh, it's you know, kind of refreshing because I read a lot of YA. And so don't get me wrong. I read a lot of romance and I'm all for it. But there does hit a point where, like, especially if I've gotten older, I've been like, Okay, like you're 16. Not every relationship. <laughs> it's not going to last forever. <laughs> so it's it was kind of refreshing to watch them just be like angsty and like they can't figure out what what they want. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm older now or something. But I love Cho. She deserves more. <laughs> See, that's that's interesting to me because I uh, like I said, um, the Goblin Fire came out when I was in high school, and. Um, so this one would have been when I was now in college. And I remember talking about it with my roommates. My roommates were all reading Harry Potter too. Um, like we all do. And and like yeah. I remember doing a class project on Harry Potter for an English for an English course that was about adaptation. We were talking about the Harry Potter adaptations for a group project. So like right. I was around people who were talking about Harry Potter a lot. And I don't remember any Cho hate, but I was not plugged into like Harry Potter message boards or MuggleNet or, you know, the Leaky Cauldron was another one, right? I want to say it was like after the movie came out okay for this book but it just like hit out of nowhere and then i said uh, the actress that plays her like for the like good six seven years maybe on her twitter it was like the girl every harry potter fan hates and i'm like i don't hate you like yeah, it's fine i had no idea there was that much uh dislike of, of yeah yeah, it's pretty bad. And I'm always, so I always like to stick up for her in this book. Like, we're just getting Harry's side. Like, we only get Harry's side in a lot of things. So we probably miss yes. a ton of stuff. Um, the other character they want to make sure we touched up for this is Hermione. She steps up in a lot of interesting ways. Um, she kind of becomes Harry's, uh, or like the cue to Harry's James Bond. <laughs> like, she figures out a lot of stuff that he's going to need. Okay. Like, the, okay. the communication device with the uh, the coins. Um, like she's the one that starts like figuring out 
things that we're going to need to accomplish what Harry has to do. And she's always kind of like, Harry's going to be the leader, guys. Like, obviously. But also, Harry, you can't figure out a lot of the logistics. <laughs> Let me do that. <laughs> right. I think Hermione really, like, comes into her own, like, confidence-wise on this book. Um, she's always been, like, really insecure. Even in, like, Goblet of Fire, she didn't want to tell anybody, like, who her Yule Ball date was because she was like, people are going to make fun of me and, and that sort of thing. And in Order of the Phoenix, I think, is when she, like, really starts to be like, this is it. Like, this is who I am. And, like, I'm I'm good. Like, I'm I'm really good. And she... She really steps up. That's when she reaches out to the other houses and she's like, okay, hey, we have this club, but of course Harry's yeah. in charge. But and she's like, the one that actually like, that, makes that, it happen. Fine. She's like, the one that pushes Harry to do it. And Oh yeah, she does like yeah. everything. <laughs> and she also is the one that like makes the trap to find out if there are any traitors. She's the one that figures out how they're going to communicate to know when, you know, when to go to the next, the next meeting. Um, like my daughter was asking, uh she's like it's kind of weird that there's no like cell phones in harry potter I'm like well you have to remember this book was written before those were really common and like before email was even like really the common way that people communicated so right. like some of the the analogs that we get it feels very pre-digital technology <laughs> you know um uh right. and, and she's like i guess hermione's thing is kind of like texting the 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 coins that she gives all the the da that's kind of like wizard texting <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, I can see that. That's funny. <laughs> like, fair <laughs> enough. And I want to be like, I didn't have texting on my phone until I was like 21 or something. Like, we passed notes in class. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what yeah. we did. Oh, yeah. but like, oh, my daughter's not getting a phone with texting for a while still. That's that's not happening. <laughs> but she knows that that's like, <laughs> like how I communicate with my wife a lot of time. Um, is, is texting. It's, it's, yeah. it, it does feel a little odd to her that like so much she can like. like why doesn't she just send out a group yes, text exactly. for the next <laughs> DA meeting? <laughs> I think that's like like a big thing with Hermione. She did the coins. She put the group together. Like, she does everything. But she's just kind of like, no, Harry's the leader. Like, she very stepped back on it. And I think that's also, like, a part of her growth, too. Because before that, like, she needed the validation that she was smart. And that she was, like, her, you know, her grades and all that stuff. Like, obviously, her grades are still important and stuff. But, like, she's constantly seeking validation that she, like, belongs here. And this time it's like she does all of it and she's like, she doesn't want any of the credit. Mm -hmm. She's kind of like, it's fine. Oh, think like, back to Harry's like the, uh, the I don't book know, one just... Hermione who like can't keep her hand down for the life of her. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And... and this time it's like, eh, like I think, I mean, there's a couple Ravenclaw kids that are like, wow, like you can do that. And she's like, oh yeah, I, I guess so. Like she's not as like, I can do it. I can do it as she is in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And as I say, like, uh, like with the whole idea of like, Hermione kind of events wizard texting, I guess, in this one. There's a few other things where, like, <laughs> as the books progress and you look back, you're like, why didn't, like, like in book one, Harry, or Dumbledore is gone when Harry breaks through because he was flying a broomstick. And it's like, why was he on a broomstick for hours? Like, what? <laughs> 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 like, like he says, Harry's owl passed him as he was flying or something like that. Now, <laughs> and it's like, why? Now we, well, we now know I'm wondering if like, he why was on a Thestral. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh like there as like the the wizard world got more fleshed out some of the earlier books it's like hmm, did we need that you know also the idea of dumbledore on a broom is just hilarious to me he <laughs> yeah. does ride a broom in half-blood prince but it still just makes me laugh like i don't know like just him and his like big robes and stuff like on a broom it's his just beard funny. flapping behind him right. <laughs> like, just, his beard flying up in his face and shoving it down <laughs> it's just yeah it's funny um let's see any other characters that stand out in this one i'm trying to think of something someone specifically i guess uh there's the i didn't even note it but there's the hagrid subplot of him going and getting his his giant brother and, oh uh, and him and like disappearing to the forest to take care of him and stuff mm -hmm. right right I think there's like in Which, every book, Hagrid has like a a big thing that like the threesome have to you know like deal with, and every year they're just like it just gets bigger and bigger. Like every year, whatever we have to deal with just gets bigger. <laughs> let's see. In, in book one, it's the dragon they have to get rid of for him. In book two, it's Aragog, right? Yeah, I would say it's Aragog. Yeah. 
So in book three, is it's Buckbeak. Uh, buck Mm-hmm. And then in book four, it's the 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 blasted uh, scroots. Is that what they're called? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that'd be uh-huh. it. Then Grop, his brother, in book five. I th- I, th- I think in, in book, book five when they meet Grop, again. like Carrie says something like, "I wish we had Norbert back" or something like that. Like, yeah, I would take a dragon like right now. <laughs> Yeah, there's this kind of exasperation, like loving exasperation with Hagrid, right? Um, as as like, I, I, like in the other, obviously in the first books, Hagrid's like kind of the mentor to Harry, like, right? And in some ways, like big brother more than like father figure, but but kind of big brother. And then they definitely become more like siblings. And there's a certain point where it shifts, and they become more like they're in charge of trying to keep Hagrid out of trouble. Right? Like, Come on, buddy, <laughs> you 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 got to think this through here. It's it's that like, oh, he knows the Wizarding World, and I don't know it, so like. I, I'm looking up to this and he's who I go do for answers. And it's that kind of like knockdown of like, oh, like he's no everything, <laughs> you know? And sometimes I have to and take care of him. he does not think things through very much. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's a Russian kind of character. I want that. I'm rushing in. <laughs> he's like, it's I fine. I have Here a brother. Go. I'm bringing him home. And it's like, was that the smartest idea that you've had? Because <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, but but he was sent on the mission by Dumbledore for the Order of the Phoenix. Like he, he's very proud. Like I love his pride when he's like, I was given a special mission. <laughs> you know, Harry Dumbledore, right. trust me. <laughs> um, and uh, and there's that, and he does successfully bring his brother back, which um, that's that's rough <laughs> to have an angry giant that doesn't want to be taken back. <laughs> I mean, because yeah, it's like his brother is like two or three times his size and he somehow manages right Right, yeah he's like he's tiny i think like hermione's like oh yeah super tiny like are you (laughs) kidding me (laughs) i just there's a line where like i think hagrid's like he kept wanting to go back and like hermione's like well why didn't you just let him and i'm like how did he keep him from going back in the first place like (laughs) It's a giant. Yeah. <laughs> like I want, I want a side story of just that like month to two month long journey of him bringing it back. Like it just sounds hilarious. Yeah. Um, I, I guess final thought. If I, I'd say for me, the strength of this book is a lot of the emotional um, aspects that we get uh, for Harry and friends yeah. and the Hogwarts story. The Voldemort luring Harry to the Ministry of Magic, that just doesn't work quite as well for me. Like, the stakes feel off somehow, and it... Like, the whole red herring of it being a weapon, and then also, like, the prophecy that we get at the end, it doesn't feel that significant compared to what we already knew about Harry and Voldemort. And so... There's... I I think maybe that's why I felt a little bit off about it all. Right. And there's a part in Half-Blood Prince when, you know, when, when Harry and, and um, Dumbledore start kind of having their lessons where, like, they're talking about the, like, inevitable showdown and, and Harry's like, well, I have to. And Dumbledore's like, no, you don't. Like, you're just believing the prophecy. Like, you think you have to because of that. You have to because you wouldn't let yourself not do it because of what he's done to you. And so then it was like, this whole other book was about that prophecy. And now you're just kind of saying like, it doesn't matter. Like you were going to be doing it anyway, whether that prophecy existed or not, you know? And and then there's the whole, um, the, they were trying to lure Harry in because you have to have your name on the prophecy to be able to touch it. Like there's enough magical protections that, you know, you couldn't do it. And, but Voldemort has basically gotten his entire, all of his death eaters in. Could he have not just said, I'm doing it guys. I'm going in one night. <laughs> like, right. And like, he, they flood the ministry with death eaters. And, and like the, the, the reasoning that is given is that Voldemort doesn't want his presence to be known, but he floods the ministry with his death eaters. And it's this like, night, he's and they a, get captured. He's a really good, like powerful wizard. I'm sure he could hide himself as well as like Dumbledore could like Dumbledore can make himself invisible without needing the invisibility cloak. Like I'm yeah. sure Voldemort could do something like that. So it does seem like kind of weird that he just would have taken a whole year on the scheme. Yeah, like to build just to go in himself. Like again, like you said, like I know he was trying to put off the 
you know, announcement of his return. But again, like you sent all these Death Eaters and Death Eaters that broke out of prison and stuff, you know, it was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so so if I have, a, I guess, a nit to pick, it's that plot line. It, it doesn't, like the stakes and the payoff and everything don't don't feel quite quite right to me I, again i'm not saying i don't i just like the book right I, I will gladly read this book again and listen to this you know the audiobook again <laughs> in, in, in the future that's gonna happen but i think that's the maybe my initial reaction to book five i'm like that eh, just doesn't seem as good i think there's um that that kind of disruption of expectations like all all of that just doesn't quite tie together as neatly as things had tied together in the previous books right and then, like I you think, said it gets undercut again like the only like problem i have was the way they lured him in, like, I get that they, like, that Harry was like, I have to believe these visions, because the one about Mr. Weasley being attacked was true, and it saved his life, so this one about Sirius was true, too, but it just seemed like everything worked too perfectly to get him there. Like, Sirius was not around when he tried to go, you know, contact him. It was, was it Creature? I think it was Creature instead. And like no, like how long does it take to fly on a thrustroll from Hogwarts to the Ministry? Like nobody could intercept that. Like I just, it seems like it worked too perfectly that no one realized. Hey, they think this is serious. Like they're going there. They like the Order of the Phoenix seemed to show up really late to that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I just thought that was like it just like the plan for Voldemort like worked perfectly almost until obviously like, you know, the kids fought back and stuff. But, you know, like getting him all the way there, it worked perfectly. So I've got to say, I've often said that the book four plot was the most convoluted plot uh, where like it's, it's all so just funny. get Harry to touch a port key uh, that they're going to enter him through all this tournament and make sure he wins so that he can touch a single port key. Um, that seemed unnecessary. It's like this, this one is also a bit it's like unnecessary. Every villain thing ever, just like <laughs> the most over the top, ridiculous plan for like the simplest thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I never really thought about it to this point, but this one is also up there for convoluted villain right. plots. <laughs> like it takes him all year, like you said. Like, why didn't he just make a plan to go in himself? I feel like that would be way less complicated than yeah. You know. And I don't think anyone would have noticed if one more of those glowing balls from the, <laughs> the ministry was gone. I don't think anyone goes in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, then, it's like just said, like a room like the that big no one... reveal, the stakes don't seem big enough with what we learned in the prophecy also. Right. Right. It was like, they have to face each other. And it was like, I think we kind of already knew that. Like, Yeah, I, th- I think that course had been set. <laughs> Right, this is the fifth book. We knew that that was going to happen eventually. Whoa, Harry and Voldemort are going to face each other head to head? Especially since, like you said, it was like, that was the advantage or the weapon or whatever because it had something. But it really didn't. Like, there was nothing in the prophecy that was, like, brand new information. Or, like, I don't know, that, that would help either one of them defeat the other. Like, I don't, even if, like, Voldemort have gone, I still am like, I, I, what did you learn with that? Like, nothing. Yeah, you didn't yeah, learn like anything. The, there's no advantage that's really gained. Yeah, it would yeah, be different like, if it says something like, who's gonna win. I don't know, you know, like, The one Harry's, that's facing the full moon on. Blah, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. But it was just like, they have to face each other. Okay. <laughs> sure, we already knew that, though. So... <laughs> Uh, so just so we don't end on kind of a sour note, I do want to point out that, uh, that once more Umbridge is really one of the fantastic characters and like the, uh, the twist, uh, or like the, the sugary sheen that she puts on, like the facade that she projects versus the reality of what's underneath. It's so unsettling. And yeah, the kitten porcelain, the the kitten paint and porcelain (laughs) in her, uh, in in her office. Um, like that, that, um, what's the word like that disjunct of you know the the pink bows in her hair and her polite (laughs) to get attention you know she's not storming or loud and obnoxious or demanding but she is really like quietly demanding uh it's just an excellent character she's she's unsettling things that jk rowling has oh that's a great word for like she's unsettling yeah um it 
Yeah, that is a fantastic description <laughs> for for Umbridge, and, I, and that is one of the strengths of J.K. Rowling is like creating these characters that um, feel like they have right. aspects that are contradictory, but it also mm-hmm. feels right. You know, like this is a person, <laughs> this is a real, uh, like almost like instantly you can almost feel like, oh, this kind of Umbridge character is going to be a trope. Like other writers are going to borrow this, and I'm sure there have been versions of characters that had embodied some of those aspects, but I don't think it had been nailed quite right. so popularly yeah, is, as what we got I think even I think I'd like now that I remember it um when that book came out uh Stephen King used to write a column for I think it was Entertainment Weekly I can't remember but he said that like she's one of the best villains that's been written in a while and like coming from Stephen King it was like such a big big thing and it was like because she's just like I said she's so unsettling and she's she's a great character and I love the little way she like continues to pop up in the series Yes. Yeah, this is not the last we see of her with the centaurs. No, it is not. <laughs> I think we, we do get an acknowledgement, like just as a throwaway line, doesn't Ron say like Dumbledore came back and he stormed into the forest and came back with, with Umbridge? I think so. Like, um, yeah, because Ron is in the hospital um, because of the brains Poor attacked him or whatever. Ron. And Umbridge is oh, in there too. And he does the like horse noises and she like freaks yes, out. Right. Like that's all we get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ron uh, being it's... attacked by brains. That was maybe a little on the nose. <sighs> that was great. All right. Well, uh, Sarah, thank you for joining us for this episode. Of course. And that is going to wrap things up. And thank you, listeners, for downloading. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episodes number 43, 104, 152, and 206. Those are our previous Harry Potter uh, uh, episodes. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or we're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod and at jdarowski and our producer Andrew is at Minute. and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Oh, I'm sorry. Andrew, we're going to have to end a point because there must be a little lag because we just both talked to each other. Why don't you go ahead and then I'll go.